0: Chapter Twelve Part B of Organic Evolution This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don Evans. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Chapter Twelve Part B mechanics of the vertebrate skeleton abnormal articulations many of the data for experimental work are found in the records of surgery and from this source inferences have been drawn as to the construction of normal articulations experiments have shown that in the case of unreduced dislocations or permanently bent joints certain predictable changes will always occur that portion of the articular cartilage which fails to meet its fellow either throughout because of a limitation of its movement or through dislocation so that it only comes in contact with the soft parts is permanently destroyed and under certain conditions a new articulation may be formed where a permanent displacement of the joint has occurred The great plasticity of bone was the basis for the wonderful bloodless operation for the reduction of congenital hip dislocation invented by the famous Viennese surgeon Dr. Lorenz, and demonstrated in America some years ago. In this operation the dislocated thigh-bone itself was made the instrument, pulled from the abnormal socket which had been formed, and the head being placed in the partially occluded normal socket was forcibly ground into it. This always results in the destruction of bony tissue in the motionless bone. The femur was then bound firmly in place until, through the resorption of unnecessary material and the rebuilding of bone where it was needed, the socket was restored to its original form, and then induced movement and massaging completed the cure. The operation was successful in a high percentage of cases where, performed upon children of tender years even the pressure of soft parts can cause the absorption of bone as shown by the interior cavity of the skull which in many instances retains a faithful impression not only of the general proportions of the brain but even of its convolutions and of the blood vessels in its membranous coverings normal articulations cope uses for illustration particularly the strong complex ankle joint of the ruminating animals such as ox and deer and camel and so forth and the horse in which the motion while wide in its fore and aft range is restricted to one plane of space resulting in a treble tongue and groove joint which resists dislocation although it may be broken by force the articulation lies between the upper bone of the ankle, the astragalus, and the shin bone or tibia, the former which is convex anterior posteriori, having two keels which fit into corresponding grooves in the concave end of the latter. The lower end of the tibia possesses a single keel which corresponds to a groove between the two astragular keels the formation of this joint has been thus explained in all bones the external walls are composed of dense material while the centers are spongy and comparatively soft the first bone of the foot astragulus is narrower from side to side than the tibia which rests upon it hence the edges of the dense side walls of the astragulus Fall within the edges of the dense side walls of the tibia, and they have pressed into the more yielding material that forms the end of the bone, and causing bone absorption, pushed it upward, thus allowing the side walls of the tibia to embrace the side walls of the astragalus. The same active cause that produced the two grooves of the lower end of the leg produced the groove of the middle of the upper end of the astragalus. Here we have the yielding lower end of the tibia resting on the equally spongy material of the middle of the astragalus. There is here no question of the hard material cutting into soft, but simply the result of continuous concussion. The consequence of concussion would be to cause the yielding faces of the bones to bend downward in the direction of gravity, or to remain in their primitive position while the edges of the astragalus were pushed into the tibia if they were flat at first they would begin to hollow downward and a tongue above and a groove below would be the result this inclusion of the astragalus in the tibia does not occur in the reptiles but appears first in the mammalia which descended from them every line of mammalia commenced with types with an astragalus which is flat in the transverse direction, or without median groove. From early tertiary times to the present day we can trace the gradual development of this groove in all the lines which have acquired it. The upper surface became at first a little concave. The concavity gradually became deeper, and finally formed a well-marked groove." This by Cope. The history of the wrist joint is similar and in many instances the articulation between the bones of the palm metacarpals and sole metatarsals with their respective digits as well this is especially true of forms which like the speedier ungulates have elevated the heel and wrist off the ground and walk upon the modified claws the hoofs Where the foot is supported by a yielding pad as in the camels the keels at the ends of the metacarpals and metatarsals may be secondarily reduced as their purpose where present is to keep the toes from spreading and a yielding foot is a necessary part of the desert adaptation which the camels so admirably illustrate vertebral column the vertebral column among vertebrates especially among terrestrial types, is a marvel of mechanical design. Aquatic adaptation relieves the backbone of the creature's weight, and hence the vertebrae tend to retain or reacquire primitive simplicity of structure. The articulations of the vertebrae one with another are affected by the faces of the adjacent centra or by the additional articular facets borne on the neural arch known as zygapophyses the reptiles exhibit the greatest variety of articulations except those of the zygapophyses which are fairly uniform while in the mammals the modification of each group of articulations is equally striking the forms which the articulations of the centra assume are four in number first the amphicillus at both ends and hollow said of vertebrae in which both ends of the centrum are concave the ball and socket which may be proselis before concave in front or opistocelus behind concave behind the plane or amphiplatin and the saddle-shaped in which the same face of a given vertebra is at once concave in one dimension and convex in the other of these various sorts the first is chiefly distinctive of fishes and certain reptilia ichthyosaurus while among mammals it is imperfectly developed being only a modification of the plane surface and usually occurring in comparatively few vertebrate the ball and socket type is chiefly found in the neck of long-necked reptiles dinosaurs the crocodiles and the mammals where it permits the maximum degree of flexibility those mammals parisodactyles and artiodactyls, in which the ball and socket articulation is found in the neck also show it although in reduced degree in the vertebrae of the loin while the thoracic vertebrae exhibit a tendency in the same direction the saddle-shaped articulation while characteristic of the neck vertebrae of birds is present in the mammals only in certain genera of monkeys the majority of mammalia have plain articulations on all of the vertebrae in those forms in which movement of the vertebrae upon one another has become impossible the centra ossify or fuse together as in the region known as the sacrum where a variable number of vertebrae, depending upon the length of the ilia or hip bones, unite to form a firm structure which is solidly articulated with the pelvic girdle. Among birds, this ossification is apt to extend still further, in some instances including practically the entire trunk. While in the whales, the form of the whose body renders any independent movement of the head impossible, the neck is much shortened and the vertebra especially in the whalebone whales unite into a solid mass of bone there is in all of this abundant evidence of the effects of use and disuse the ball and socket joints being developed where the greatest all-round flexibility is characteristic this is therefore the prevailing type of articulation among reptilia the degree of its development being in direct proportion to the weakness of the limbs, for in the large and long-limbed terrestrial dinosaurs the articulations of the trunk and to a less extent of the tail vertebrae tend to become plain. In the mammals it is best developed in the most flexible regions—the neck and loin. The saddle-shaped articulation also permits considerable flexibility, but mainly in the vertical and horizontal planes. The fact that in the ancestral whales the neck was considerably longer than in their modern descendants, and had its centra distinct, appears to be the probable result of that disuse arising from gradually increasing powers of locomotion through the water, which would enable the creature to overtake and capture its prey without the necessity of using a long, darting neck to seize it in the pursuit. The contrast is strikingly illustrated by the whale-like ichthyosaurs among reptiles on the one hand and the plesiosaurs on the other. In the former, as in the whales, the tail became the principal organ of locomotion with, in all probability, a corresponding perfection of speed, whereas in the plesiosaurs the more laborious method of propulsion by the paddle-like limbs made the speed of the creature as a whole considerably less and necessitated a proportionately longer and more flexible neck analogous to that of the fish-eating alligator snapping turtle macrodemis tem of this vicious beast agassiz says it does not withdraw its head and limbs on the approach of danger but resorts to more active defense it raises itself upon the legs and tail highest behind opens the mouth widely and throwing out the head quickly as far as the long neck will allow, snaps the jaws forcibly upon the assailant, at the same time throwing the body forward so powerfully as often to come down to the ground when it has missed its object." The wonderful complication of the axial mechanism is shown in its highest perfection in certain of the dinosaurs for never before nor since has nature produced such mighty animals unsupported by an external sustaining medium in one of the most remarkable of these forms diplodocus we have an animal of relatively short body borne on massive column-like limbs and with an extremely long neck and tail the former of which was evidently a very mobile and self-sustaining organ while the latter though capable of considerable movement and self-support probably was either largely waterborne for the creature was at least semi-aquatic in its habits or may have dragged on the ground when the animal came ashore the entire fabric of the vertebral column is a marvel of lightness and ingenuity of design the great mobility of the neck is indicated by the highly developed ball-and-socket central articulations, but especially by the extreme lightness of the centra themselves, which are pierced by deep lateral cavities, leaving a median dividing wall so thin as to be readily broken through. This mobility is also shown by the complexity of the indicated musculature, for the points of muscle attachment are well developed. And numerous keels and buttresses running obliquely in both directions across the centra and neural arches show the lines of stress not of a few massive muscles but of numerous smaller muscles and tendons moreover the neural spines which are usually single are here deeply cleft from the third cervical back to the sixth dorsal indicating the pairing of the great muscles which run along the mid-dorsal line of the neck and back and the independent action of the two members of the pair this of course is indicative of a wide lateral sweeping of the neck and head in the dorsal region the faces of the centra flatten indicating little flexibility unless the centra were separated by thick compressible pads of cartilage a supposition which the articulation of the zygapophyses does not bear out here except for the development of deep lateral cavities pleurocelus in the centra the vertebrae are relatively simple indicating a similar simplicity of the musculature the sacrum is a massive structure consisting of three closely coalesced vertebrae, united not only by their centra, but by the neural arches and even the dorsal spines, and a fourth vertebra, the spine of which is free, although the centrum is well ossified with the others. This last vertebra is interpreted as a caudal which age and lack of mobility have caused to unite with the vertebra in front. The sacrum is the fulcrum of the whole wonderful lever, and the coalesced spines afford a firm anchorage for the long muscles and tendons which run forward toward the neck and backward toward the tail, the tension members of the fabric. The sacrum is very solidly fastened to the hip bones, or ilia, by massive processes which extend outward and backward, and unite distally into a heavy, roughened plate, forming the abutment against which the ilium bears. The hip-socket is large and thoroughly braced by this bony plate, and the bone, peduncle, extends downward in front of the socket in such a way as to meet the thrust of the thigh in ordinary standing posture, in walking when the hind-limb is used to urge the animal forward, and also when the creature reared on its hind legs, evidently a very feasible act when the body was partially waterborne. The obliquity of the transverse processes which has already been described is such as to meet this unusual strain. The tail lacked the great flexibility of the neck, but must have been capable of some lateral movement as well as a certain amount of elevation. The centra are again lightened, but are by no means as complicated as those of the neck the transverse processes especially on the anterior vertebra are widely expanded plates of bone indicating powerfully developed lateral muscles the tail must have had three uses for swimming somewhat as a serpent swims a movement which requires a certain flexibility but does not perhaps necessitate the extreme range of the food-getting head and neck for defense as the only visible weapon of which the creature stood possessed was some ten feet of slender whiplash-like terminus to its tail, comparable to that seen in many modern lizards, and serving as a very efficient flagellant wherewith to punish would-be offenders against the owner's person, and for temporary support when the animal reared the four quarters aloft. That this last need may have occasionally arisen is still further attested by the occasional abnormal coalescence of two of the caudals as in the great specimen in the Carnegie Museum at Pittsburgh. These vertebrae, the estimated seventeenth and eighteenth, are at about the point where the tail would meet the ground in such a maneuver to gain a full appreciation of all this it should be borne in mind that diplodocus was one of the giants of geologic time stretching its mighty length through a span of eighty feet or more some of which sixty-five lay without pillar-like supports and therefore except for the resting of the tail upon the ground or the support given by the water when submerged the neck or tail must each have been capable of being sustained by a single end there is a wonderful freedom of design in the construction of the individual vertebrae comparable to that seen in gothic architecture for not only is each vertebra different from its fellows but even the two sides of the same bone are unlike the whole structure of the diplodocus skeleton is so perfect a response to the multitudinous stresses to which its various elements have been subjected that to one who can appreciate the design of a bridge or building or any other substantive fabric, the conclusion that it is the result of mechanical genesis is almost irresistible. Tendons in which lime salts had been deposited during life are often preserved in dinosaurs, notably in the iguanodons of Europe and their American relatives. Camptosaurus and the trachodon and. Here the lines of tension are beautifully indicated, just as the keels and buttresses of the vertebras give evidence of lines of compression. Limb proportions. Limb proportions also follow definite mechanical laws, which at first seem curiously contradictory. For both impact, compression force, and strain, extension force, while opposite in their action have the same effect upon bone that of causing it to elongate in the line of the stress transverse stress on the other hand would cause growth at right angles with the length of the bone speed adaptation generally results in the elongation of the two lower segments of fore and hind limb and the relative shortening of the upper while relatively slow progression as in the elephant gives rise to a lengthened proximal segment, that nearest the body, the distal one remaining relatively short. With the apes, such as the gibbon, in which most of the progress from branch to branch and from tree to tree is sustained by the arms, the latter are enormously elongated as compared with the legs, which are of relatively little use and are proportionately very short so that when the ape stands with the body practically erect the knuckles still touch the ground a regular gradation has been shown by huxley to exist between these extremes and that in terrestrial mankind in which the legs are the longer the orang chimpanzee and gorilla representing the intermediate stages in the order named the last standing nearest to man if man's legs are longer than his arms as a result of their greater use their growth stimulus was impact whereas with the gibbons arms which are the longer the stimulus was a strain the tree sloths also have greatly elongated proximal segments to the limbs the hands and feet being reduced to curious structure terminating in immense hook-like claws The huge Pleistocene ground sloths, on the contrary, although exhibiting enough arboreal characteristics to point to a partial tree-dwelling ancestry, had comparatively short and ponderous limbs, but the relative lengths of limb segments were retained. Archilong, the giant turtle from the Cretaceous of South Dakota, mounted in the Yale University Museum, had suffered mutilation during life for the right hind foot is missing, and the condition of the lower leg bones, which lack their distal end, is pathologic. The most interesting feature, however, is the difference in size of the two thigh bones—that of the perfect left limb being materially larger than that of the crippled right, showing the result of the cessation of growth stimulus with the loss of utility but this is an ontogenetic instance and could not, so far as our knowledge goes, become evolutional. The other instances, which are constant and predictable, are the result of evolutionary processes, whatever they may be. Cope and others have taken many other instances, such as the modification of form into radial symmetry for sedimentary types and bilateral for the locomotor, the mechanics of the teeth of muscular development of the shells of invertebrates but enough have been given to show that numerous modifications of animals conform with mechanical laws whether mechanics is the prime mover in their production or not objections to kinetogenesis several arguments have been offered by the opponents of this theory of which the most important are first the apparently illogical and self-contradictory assumption that stimuli of different kinds produce similar results while stimuli of the same kind may produce different results experiment however has proved the truth of this apparently paradoxical statement for the irritation of bone will produce either bone deposits or bone absorption according to the degree of irritation Thus, moderate stimulus, such as the pressure and stretching mentioned above, may stimulate growth. Continued heavy pressure, on the other hand, causes bone absorption at the point of contact. A second objection which has been made to kinetogenesis is that if growth stimulus exists, how can there be a limit to increase, so long as the stimulus of use prevails? This objection is met by the assumption that the stimulus is stress due to disharmony between an organism and its environment, and that kinetogenesis is the result of the effort on the part of the organism to overcome this lack of harmony. When the organism is sufficiently adjusted to meet the requirements of the environment, equilibrium is attained, the stress is reduced to the point necessary for the maintenance of the mechanism in working condition, and further growth ceases. In easy circumstances, where little or no exertion is necessary, there is not even sufficient stimulus to raise the mechanism to a state of efficiency, and the degeneracy of disuse results. Despite Cope's arguments, this is one of the objections to his theory which is most emphasized by its opponents. It will at once be seen that even if the objections above are met, a third will yet remain that of the acceptance of the Lamarckian factor of the inheritance of acquired or ontogenetic characters, upon which the whole doctrine of kinetogenesis depends for its inclusion among the potent factors of evolution. Osborne's theory of coincident selection. This objection Osborne has striven to avoid by his idea of coincident selection which he states as follows quote, "individual or acquired modifications in new circumstances are an important feature of the adult structure of every animal some congenital variations may coincide with such modifications others may not the gradual selection of those which coincide coincident variations may constitute an apparent inheritance of acquired modifications" unquote. Although these may occur, they would hardly seem sufficient to account for the host of mechanical adaptations which exist. Many of these may be ontogenetic, recurring in successive generations through the influence on each individual of similar conditions, with resultant similar adaptations. Whether these can ever become a part of the heritage of the species we do not know. But as we saw in the preceding chapter, most naturalists believe that after many generations the character may make itself felt although by what means this is accomplished has not yet been revealed end of chapter twelve part b recording by don evans w dot dot